1: to the front three it's uh, good to have you guys tonight it becomes front two again with chris henich chris it's good to have you as well obviously good good to be here good to be uh, consistently on the platform uh and what a platform uh platform nine and one quarter you are coming to hedwig or whatever they call it in harry potter world um we're going to get down to three subjects that interested us from the weekend. We've had a lot of tweets in. We can cover some of those later on. If you would like to be in contact on Twitter or anywhere else, uh, you can go to at the front three. And of course, if you want to leave us a five star review on iTunes, it does help us be found by other people uh, and therefore get better questions because the more people putting questions in, obviously uh, the better they will be. It's not just that we already have a great audience with good questions. Anyway, the weekend uh, Pep Guardiola added the first bit of silverware to his own section of the cabinet uh, for Manchester City. Uh, and it's it's funny, isn't it, Chris? Because Guardiola starting his era at Man City with the League Cup sort of nicely bookends what's going on with Wenger, unable to complete his set.
0: Yeah, I think that for me would be the, the literal only reason I could see Arsenal Wenger wanting to stay at this point. <clears throat> is to try and complete that set because, let's
1: go for the League Cup guys
0: yeah I mean I, th- I did think about that today. I was thinking how, how criminal would it be to say you know what, we're going to go all out for the League Cup next year I mean granted he doesn't have the Champions League as well but in terms of domestic silverware that's the only one that's that's missing and I think you know you could argue that the, the way that his perception of that competition has changed almost indicates that desperation might sound a harsh word but that's the best one I can think of to apply to his situation because originally this was a competition that he used to blow youngsters in. This was where you Gale Clichies, your Cesc of the world, used to come in, get an opportunity to show what they could do. I still think that was the competition that Fabregas became Arsenal's youngest scorer in where he had the, the, the 57 number on his back. So you look at that then and now it's very much a competition that they've got a first team that's been stronger and stronger as they just attempt, I think, to, to hoard any kind of silverware because that's the ultimate problem with, with, I think, the Premier League right now is that domestically, at least, you only have three opportunities of success. So that means that if everyone wins one competition, that's 17 teams that haven't won anything. And, they, yeah. and when there's a top six, that makes it difficult.
1: But what it was called a special competition the other day by, I think, Sergio Aguero, and obviously it means something to Pep now that he's won it himself. Do you think there is... Uh, obviously, as uh, sort of an Englishman growing up in England um, and it being your city, um, you know, d- there is an element of us feeling like we already take for granted maybe some of um, what goes on around the League Cup and how early it is. Do you think there's an element of novelty there for foreign players and, you know, the way that we maybe see not the Copa del Rey or. Um, I'm trying to think of what the uh, is it the Supercoppa in, uh, in Italy? Um, in it France. It, that's definitely in France. Uh, do you do you think there are elements of um, the fact there's a bit of novelty for a foreign player that if you are Sergio Aguero if you're Pep Guardiola winning something like this is a it, it's, it's a part of the culture rather than just continuing the same things that you'd already got. You're sort of you're imprinting yourself a little bit on that English culture that you couldn't do when you were in Barcelona because there's not the same sort of idea, and obviously you can't win the um, the League Cup yet with a Barcelona team.
0: I feel like it's PR personally. Really? I think I only say that because I think the FA Cup, that when you think about it, is something that's broadcast globally. I know that the League Cup is now, but it's something that when I hear older generations talk, like uh, I, I saw Gordon Strachan um, talk about it just the other day, that it was a short piece occasion. It was something where kind of the world stopped, where yeah. where even just the placement of the League Cup final in the calendar, to me, it's one of those competitions where it just feels like it's just kind of shoved into a weekend. And and this is before we even talk about the fact it's had so many different names. The, the first game I ever went to, was a League Cup game when it was the Coca-Cola Cup, so that should tell you kind of just how inconsistent its image has been. I could never see the 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 FA Cup having that kind of transformation constantly. To me, it's got a very stable image and, and almost ideology the 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 FA Cup or perception, excuse me.
1: Yeah, it certainly is an interesting one. It is one that Wenger hasn't managed to get his hands on down the years, and it looks obviously less and less likely now that he will uh, win it before he does leave office as there do seem to be a lot of angry Arsenal fans as Arsenal fan TV obviously come up to there. It might be a five-year anniversary. A lot of people invited to London over the last few days to come celebrate with them. Um, e- e- obviously uh, they are that voice that more recently has been, um, juxtaposed with some of the success that, uh, Wenger has felt, uh, obviously in the FA cup, uh, but I mean, there are they now are embodying a bit of a a voice of the fans, Chris, which is saying we don't want Wenger here anymore. We don't like the culture which is here, and that that must be really frustrating. And that must be really frustrating as a a football fan to see. I don't know we don't have the culture that we want at the club, and I know, there there is an element, and I sort of feel it when I'm watching Arsenal Fan TV. And I mean, this in the nicest way that you can see these people's lives ticking away almost in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something quite tragic about the whole thing because I think it was Barney Rene who said in The Guardian that he felt the Arsenal team were somewhat zombified. They were just sort of mar- marching on the pitch almost uh, just not not thinking footballers. They were just footballers. Um, and it, it, he said it was unusual. And it was it, it, there was something he said in another podcast. I think it might have been the Ramble. It might have been Totally Football Show where they basically said... A cup final, whether you win it or lose it, is usually cause for celebration. You know, you've gotten to a cup final, but this was the complete opposite for Arsenal. And that must show something sort of an endemic now at Arsenal is very difficult. They use all the cliches, you know, Jack Wilshere uses all the cliches of, you know, how important the fans are at the club, blah, blah, blah. It's partly true. But it just seems if these same things just get trotted out over and over again, it's not only Arsenal fan TV now, which are cliche, but Arsenal themselves as a club.
0: Yeah. I I think that's genuinely a a fantastic take on on the situation. Yeah, I know. Um, Because, I I mean, I have a very difficult uh, relationship with that platform because I just find some of it quite knee-jerk. I find some of it disingenuous. I think that while it continues to pedal the notion that it's a platform for the fans, I don't think it is. I think, I think it affords fans a chance to speak, but really it's a platform about creating characters. Um, and I think for me, at least <clears throat> I, I, there comes a point where I just struggle to, to take any of their opinions on board just because that I find quite hard to stomach. Um, pe- people, people like DT being quite obnoxious and, and, just the way that he carries himself. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's necessarily about you know what he says. I think sometimes the the right message can come from the wrong person, and he's a great example of that. Um, the fact that I sat and watched
1: him. I heavily relate to that.
0: Well, the the, the fact that he sat and gave advice in advert comments to Granny Jacker at a red carpet event. Yeah. Things like that. It's 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 not. It, it's I'm not coming from a a place of. Um, you know, thinking that he has no right to have an opinion, I think undeniably does. The way he expresses that, though, I find very difficult to, to, to rationalise. It
1: is, it is also an unusual one, because obviously, you, you know, you consistently see the end product out on the pitch as a fan, which is obviously an interesting thing. Um, and, you know, you feel, I guess there is slightly an illusion in football that you feel like you're very close to these players, uh, especially in the modern day. Uh, so see, to some extent, it feels as if our, um, Arsenal fan TV sort of shows the the modern juxtaposition of being very close with a team and supporting them, and at the same time being very far from them. Um, and I guess part of, there is partly a problem that you see now with Arsenal that some of these players before it was sort of it was sort of all right that Thierry Henry was close to the Arsenal fans but he also saw himself as sort of an international product but now it's um, different you know Bayerin sees himself as this different lifestyle of player but at the same time he doesn't feel like he belongs at Arsenal anymore Mustafi they were trying to I think they were trying to even get rid of him last summer Mm-hmm. And now he makes the big mistake. There's so many things at Arsenal which just don't <clears> seem right. But uh, uh, I'm also right in thinking, Chris, there are so many small fixes which could turn the corner for this team. And one of them could be changing tactics. Because it is, it, one thing that is definitely sure to say is DT himself, is, I don't mean this is a dig to DT, he can't get access to the training sessions, but is not in the training sessions each week. He doesn't see what Arsene Wenger or this coaching staff have to work with. And to some extent, there were some silly points made by some Arsenal fans about you know, Steve Bould whoever in the coaching staff not being up to the job or whatever, when just a few months ago he was getting heaped uh, praise on him for what he'd done. Um, it just seems as if there is such a reactionary issue at the club right now that we don't quite know how to approach that.
0: Yeah, I I think therein lies the issue is that it's it's not the notion of having an opinion, it's the notion of believing that opinion is de facto the truth without accepting that there is nuance and that there is a lot of moving parts to that. The same applies to journalists who say I've spoken to someone close to the situation. You're getting one person's perspective on that and you don't necessarily know what their perception is coloured by. Now, that not looking to get too meta or, or even ambiguous on the situation, because I do think there are a lot of very simple culture fixes that could help Arsenal. The difficulty is, I think, he, as a manager, Arsene Wenger, is a figurehead coach. He's someone that sits at the head of the situation, almost like an emperor. And unlike Sir Alex Ferguson, I don't think he has necessarily the care or the ability to delegate and manage so many different situations. I think he has a very select set of skills, but the, they aren't wide-ranging enough to take care of an entire football club in the way that he has, which is why they've had to step in the owner, or the owner, excuse me, and, and put in someone like Sven Mistletat and people like that, so that the club can operate as a big club, theoretically should do. And mm. th- that, that goes back to the fact that, again, they don't have very good centre-backs and the ones that they do have seem to have regressed under him. Mustafi is a very good example, someone who was said to be a leader at Valencia, someone who is, is a World Cup winner with Germany was a fairly burgeoning reputation. I spoke to a former teammate of his at Everton and he said yeah he'll have no problem styling in there, it'll be great. And yet Sunday He's made to look like a Sunday league defender, not by necessarily Sergio Aguero, but by poor positioning, terrible communication, and then a really lame duck attempt to win a foul when there's no chance he's going to get it in the first place. And that's the problem is that it, it, it does feel cultural. It feels like a, a poisoned well in that sense that everything that comes into contact with Arsene Wenger, as, as harsh as it may sound, seems to regress. And it's not just Arsenal Football Club It's the players That inhabit it too And I think you just need to Look at, at Oxford Chamberlain Who took a pay cut To leave the place When he hadn't really Been a starter anyway mm.
1: certainly, I mean, uh, And now he certainly Is very much a starter in the Liverpool team Look very successful We don't have time and we Because we only cover Three subjects now On this show um, uh, Liverpool Interesting performance On the weekend Obviously doing very well Against West Ham um, Still look uh, Defensively weak at times but again Oxley Chamberlain playing a very key part in a system which does seem to play towards some of those strengths for those players um, it's an interesting one because there are certain players at this club at Arsenal now that are staying just to be with Arsene Wenger uh, the likes of Mesut Ozil and although maybe Ozil is staying slightly because he knows things are going to dramatically change I get the feeling every season the players feel like they've been told it's alright Simeone is on his way and um, and then they go, in one more season, uh, maybe not. Well,
0: I, I think look at Alexis Sanchez again. There was so much talk about, is he going to go to Man City? Is he going to go to Man United? All these things where you know he chose money to go here or you know he, he, he chose uh, a lack of ambition to, to go here. That was all conjecture that was irrelevant. The one constant throughout that was that he wanted to leave Arsenal and he wasn't overly careful about where he actually ended up as long as it meant he didn't have to play in the next six months with Arsenal, because he was out of contract in the summer anyway. So it was it would have been delaying the inevitable if he if he had stayed. Um, and I think that for me, things like that, things like Chamberlain, they give such a strong indication of, of where a football club is at.
1: I completely see a point. I'm just sort of... Hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, upsetting maybe for Arsenal... Um, Fans, and sometimes there can be quite a visceral reaction to it I I actually also think that the club is probably in much better shape than a 3-0 thrashing in the final even if the players on the pitch aren't in that great shape Um, another team that was thrashed 2-1 on the weekend was Chelsea uh, by uh, Jose Mourinho's men at Old Trafford there was a handshake and a slight face tap at the end of the game from Mourinho on Conte uh but everything that happened in between Chris was sort of a lot more open than we expected it to be really both teams going at each other and it was it was actually I I enjoyed it quite a lot as again we were watching it live on the kickoff with Coral on um on the True Geordies channel I enjoyed watching it live because it was so end-to-end there was so much uh to pick over it was it was quite a spectacle
0: yeah I think I think it was actually um in, in many ways, it was also the conclusion of what's probably been an ugly little sparring session between the two of them in the press. And I think it was it was good in some parts, interesting in other ways, that they kind of both showed up this time and that they accepted that, really, whoever won the game kind of takes the spoils and that if you keep chatting and running your mouth and you then lose the game, you look twice as bad. Um, mm. But I think, for me, the... I wouldn't say the game hinged on it but I was very surprised to see Conte pull Hazard up because Hazard was creating the chances he was the one that assists Williams' goal I thought that McTominay did a very good job on him more in the second half because I, I do think he was at fault for Williams' goal for not tracking a runner right. as hypercritical as that sounds but uh, it, it just didn't really make sense to me I thought Morata looked a little bit off pace again and so pulling Hazard off instead when you haven't got the game against Barcelona next week to even consider. It just felt a little bit jarring in terms of... He usually is so tactically astute content and usually, for my mind, is just he's on the button all the time and he knows what he's supposed to do. And even if the outcome isn't great, you can see the thought process. I don't know what the thought process was there because I think settling for a draw at Old Trafford against a, a team like Manchester United in its current position, that, that seems... Really horribly naive to me from from
1: someone like Conte. Although mm. well, I have really been enjoying Willian's uh, performances recently for um, that the this Chelsea team. It, it's he's been putting in some great performances, and he's again one of those players. You often uh, I mean, it's not that you don't miss him when he's not around, but you just. You know, there's always someone else to step in, in those positions. It's so, like, you know, it's more of their, they're less uh, wingers, more sort of forwards now. It's just interesting to see how well William plays it.
0: Yes, definitely. I think the thing with him is looking at his numbers, that they're, they're respectable, they're not sensational. I think it's about one in four this season. Um, but what's changed, I think, in recent weeks is that he started to to be a presence in the big games. That's the difference. Look at Barcelona, and it's him that hits the post-ice, it's him that eventually scores the goal with a really good finish. Again, could have easily tried to square it to Mourad, but took, the, took sort of the responsibility on himself to, to shoot against what is the Premier League's best goalkeeper. And and yeah, maybe got a little bit lucky with, with Devere, probably should have stopped it. But, but again, he took the risk, he took the responsibility. And I think for me, that's something that I've been quite impressed by is that Willian in general, starting, I think to take the responsibility more and starting to to almost lead the charge a little bit and I think that's good because whether Hazard stays or not just in the short term there's times where you look at him and think he's such a a talisman for that team that if you can can ruffle him if you can stop him as difficult as that is you go a long way to stopping Chelsea and I think they needed to develop more more pathways to, to
1: success well Manchester United certainly do look better against Chelsea more recently it's, it's fair to say that Mourinho had set up somewhat of a dynasty at Chelsea and in the previous 14 games uh, before the the previous three which I'm assuming sort of means that in the Mourinho era at Manchester United he's turned the record that Manchester United had uh, against Chelsea on its head and he now has two wins in the last three matches that Manchester United have played against Chelsea and um, do, do you think that there is somewhat of an end of an era at Chelsea at the moment, Chris, where we see Conte, I mean, we always knew Conte would be somewhat of a reset button considering what Conte is as a manager and sort of how hard he is, Martello, as they call him, Hammer. I love doing that. I've never, I've never, genuinely never got to do that before. I've never got to say a word and then translate it. So it just it just feels good to be James Horncastle. It's just who I was thinking of. Um Although it was actually Paolo Bandini, I stole that from. Um, but the, the point is that, uh, you know, he's he's great at hammering the players. He's probably also good at hammering kinks out of players. And it is fair to say that Mourinho is the kind of guy who crafts a team in his own image. If you don't take a hammer to that, um, a lot's going to change. Uh, to some extent, are we seeing a changing of the guard with uh, the likes of, uh, you know, um, the, Con- the Conte era Now sort of seeing itself Coming to an end Are we seeing a bit of a reset? John Terry's not there anymore Lampard's not there Jock is obviously not there anymore um, And many of the players Such as Hazard, etc Who seemed loyal to Mourinho At one point Now seem to see that As a distant memory
0: Yeah, I think Actually it's it's kind of a An important uh, impasse for, for Chelsea in general Because I think financially They can't compete with the likes of Man United, the likes of Man City, continentally, Real Madrid, Barcelona, etc. And we've seen them more and more try to develop in house. Andres Christensen is, I would say, the first real success story, maybe Thibaut Courtois um, being another one.
1: What? Was he was, was Courtois really in house? I mean, Courtois was surely a finished product, thanks thanks to other people's coaching.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think he was refined at Atletico Madrid,
1: um, Do you, and it, it may that may also see them get bitten again, as it looks as if he does apparently want to head back to uh, Madrid, but this time on the royal side.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that is that could be the potential struggle for them because they've they've become less about spending money freely. You look at the start of the Abramovich era. You know, for every Didier Drogba, there was an Adrian Mutu or Hernan Crespo, Damien Duff, expensive players that didn't necessarily. Well, he was, but more that he didn't have a long-term future there. It wasn't someone that sat down for a number of years. It was someone that came and went very quickly. Um, Sometimes they made their money back. Other times, like Damien Duff, they took a a fairly decent hit. Adrian Mutu, they took a really big hit. And so they, they, they almost, they either can't or won't open themselves up to taking their risks financially. And that is very difficult because we just need to look at some of the hits that Man United have taken with Memphis Depay, um, Angel Di Maria. You look at, at City as well, they've taken some financial hits. Ekin uh, Mangala, 40 odd million. You, I think you maybe get half of that back now, maybe. Um, although I do think it was rising to 42, but point still stands, he's going to lose them a lot of money. Um, and I think that, for me, is, is something that we're going to have to sort of just sit and try and watch and fall, because I think Abramovich could come in and spend more money, that's possible. But right now, I don't know if they have the the infrastructure to really help support that. Their stadium needs to be a bit bigger, I think. it, it It's not, what I would say, the level of an elite club. They have won the Champions League, which is a huge pull, obviously. Um,
1: but are but right, I, are they, I mean, I suppose the good thing for, I uh, suppose the good thing about Conte's previous record was that as soon as Conte left a the club, they went on to get to a Champions League final the season after, um, showing in many ways that he does have somewhat of a good foundation to lay. In the same way that Mourinho did, in many ways.
0: Exactly, and I, and I think this is. I think I think ultimately. You look at Tammy Abraham, Loftus Cheek. Those are players that, at some point, will just have to play for the first team. You'll have to trust them. And in the case of Christiansen, you could argue he was at fault for the Barcelona goal uh, yeah. the other week. Now that was a, a fairly hefty mistake that could cost them. But you have to. You almost have to ride through those mistakes with younger players and hope that eventually it pays off. And patience for Chelsea has been difficult but at the same time you look at Timo Bakioka who costs £40 million and looks nowhere near that valuation and, yeah. and has rightly raised the questions about whether that could have been Loftus-Cheek or that could have been Shalaba who already knows the club knows the manager knows the style of player etc etc and doesn't cost, cost £40 million but
1: do you think you're being a little bit reductive there in, in the way that you're looking at uh, some of those players considering and I'm not saying you're wrong in this but do, you know considering um uh, maybe they did know the club and maybe therefore they also knew that it wasn't for them. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, we, I, I do always find it unusual that people sort of think, uh, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but I, I do always find it unusual. We think the player's grown up there.
0: When you're ready to pop the question,
1: the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: You know, the players, uh, been put through this culture. The players thought this, the players, uh, been put into that mentality. It fits that player. There are many memories. I think a lot of people have from school that they think, well, you know, I, I like my school experience, but it didn't shape me as the person or the professional that I was going to be. Um, and in many ways I had to leave that environment to go and realize my potential it's there could be a similar thing with what's happened with what happens at Chelsea slightly that there is originally the allure of being you could be the first one to get through the academy or whatever you know you could be the first one to rise out of this and actually is part of the issue that maybe the culture there doesn't set players up to go through to that and therefore of course they're likely to leave because maybe they won't get maybe they won't feel the affinity that maybe you uh, you know uh, they would Chelsea would hope one of their players would does that make sense what I'm saying
0: I think it does but I think at the same time it, it's where it descends into chicken and egg in so much as is that feeling facilitated by the lack of opportunities? does it push them into Probably, that position yeah. um, someone like Shalva who, who doesn't seem to get a chance and then in the summer sees Danny drink water come in for over 20 million, sees Bakayoko come in for 40 million, having the previous season watched N'Golo Kante come in for 30 million. There comes a point where I think it... There, there comes a point where self-confidence becomes impossible and, and self-belief and determination becomes impossible because you, how are you supposed to get past those three? Are you supposed to just pray for an injury? And even then, he's at an age where there's a potential World Cup for him in the summer. Well, there, there would have been, I think, had he not been injured. Um... And so he has to make a very difficult decision in terms of going and playing football. And, and I think, yeah, I, I think, it, I appreciate that, that it can be a difficult balancing act between showing loyalty to players that you've, you've produced in-house and then also challenging them. But I do think he was left with a, an impossible situation.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, I also think there is an element of, um, uh, yeah like you like you say culture and uh, the way that that culture works um I'd be interested to know what listeners think of uh, the culture at Chelsea and what culture they're actually putting together because hmm, um, pff, yeah I, I don't know sometimes you you look at what what they're building at Chelsea and you do sort of wonder what what would happen there if a brand hadn't have been um would they have would they' have grown one actually would they have maybe been bought by someone else like an fsg or you know a qatari group um one thing we certainly didn't mention chris was that uh pep guardiola also on the weekend uh wore a yellow ribbon and obviously said it was because he was human um it there's certainly an interesting ethical side which we can't discuss too deeply but some people are saying uh and I'm not saying that it means he cannot support Catalonia because I think a lot of people are on the side of um people who want to vote or a referendum on those sorts of things. Um But he is also a, an ambassador for Qatar twenty twenty two. Do you think there is a bit of a do you think people are sniping because they don't they don't agree with his politics, or do you think people are sniping because uh, that is like a slightly hypocritical thing to say. I'm I'm in support of these humans, but at the same time, support Qatar 2022 or be a face of it
0: he puts himself in a difficult position when he talks about the humanity of it um I think invariably we are more likely to care about those things which have affected us or have shaped us
1: no, great than point. people
0: we, we don't know and but, but then um, but I, I
1: guess at the same time though then should I guess it's all very easy to take big money from companies or countries or corporations or whatever believe me i know but um i don't mean big money um although uh, and then uh, at the same time you say well you know if he's if he if it's about what you know then should you also only be sponsored by an only sponsor people and things that you know what do you know what do we know do you know what I
0: mean? the, the the difficulty here
1: is is that i think
0: in the position he's in, in theory, the only acceptable recourse would be for him to quit, which he's obviously not going to do. Um, and I think ultimately we all decide what hill we choose to die on in terms of our principles. And, and you know, life will often make hypocrites of us. That's, that's the problem with it. In so much as, yeah, he, he probably shouldn't. And I think it leads to a wider debate than should we, as a community or fraternity, be turning around and questioning the people that are investing in our in our sport because in theory you can find objection with almost every Premier League owner whether it's Man City whether it's Man United whether yeah, it's him. even even Mike Ashley employing zero-hour contracts right making um you know taking advantage of people and and using longer as a sponsor which was heavily um
1: it's protested
0: so. because of yeah. because of its predatory nature on on uh, people who are struggling with money problems so that there comes a point where essentially you either have to accept everything or accept nothing that's the those are the only two sort of poles between the,
1: I the situation
0: and I, and I think that's the difficulty that, that that guardiola finds himself in is that he made such a, a moral stand about this being about humanity and these things and and seeing it and even comparing it to brexit and things like that and so you know you had a vote you were given the political recourse well, that's kind of the problem is... is Listen, you were given so the chance to screw yourself
1: right? up. We All these people want a chance to financially maybe struggle for a while. Um, uh, separation is difficult. Given that I'm not saying uh, it's the wrong decision. I'm just saying sometimes uh, separation can be financially uh, strenuous. And I, and I come from a, a divorced family. Um, that's a joke. I don't think there was any financial strain on either parent uh, during that time. Um, not as far as I know. As a young child, anyway. Um, the 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 point is though, Chris, that actually um, the main thing that happened was about unity this weekend. And Romelu Lukaku tweeted, uh, "Do you think we should have an All Star game?" Uh, a lot of people picked up on this. It still is getting tweets out there, and I think we even reacted to it on the Front Three account with you saying uh, hilariously that Lascelles would get into this All Star team. Um, or one of the all-star teams. Obviously, there's not there's a 22 you can get in there. You can even probably, I think it'll probably end up with 44 players being picked from the Premier League, obviously, because you need two full squads. Mm. Uh, do you think it would be North versus South? Do you think it would be, uh, you, you know, do you think it'd be seeded in some way? How would this work? Because it works, it worked very well in the NBA where, uh, up until this season. It's uh, and to some extent, it got a little bit t- tired because East versus West there wasn't the same competition there was great um there were some great players in one side less competitive players in the other but for lebron james maybe uh and at times there was a bit of tension this year it was team lebron versus team curry so team james versus team stephen curry um and that worked it worked really nicely and i think i think th- there's also slightly um it, this is such a popular subject because we all said it at some point in our lives i would love to see a an NBA all-star game style sort of thing in the Premier League, or be that in the Champions League, UEFA, or whatever. Everyone's written an article on it when they've been up and coming as a young blogger or journalist. It's easy fodder. You can be a fucking idiot and say this shit. Um, Let me just say that because so many people seem to be claiming it as if they were the first person ever to come up with the idea of an all-star game. Um, Moving on from that for just a second. uh, Obviously, it's not feasible, uh, but just with with me for a second who would make the starting 11 from the north ah uh, well wow, that's a good question um for, for instance the, the so there's a, and also is it's like worrying in the, in the nba players move fairly regularly anyway do you know you know lebron james could go to the lakers he could go to spurs he could go to i'm just naming a couple of teams that i would like to see him go to right now um you know, he's going to have his options when his Cavs uh, situation um, changes next year, and he becomes um, that ever um, elusive free agent. Um, you know, what do you? Would it be worrying? That, you know, if Salah's going off and training with a Sterling, Sterling's having this word, whereas normally he wouldn't be able to get near him, the snaky little shit. You know, he couldn't. He couldn't have that word in Salah's ear.
0: Uh, possibly. Um, in terms of who actually makes it, Craig. Yeah, I think honestly, it currently,
1: is, it, it, surely it's De Gea in goal. I think
0: it's pretty much just Man United, Man City, and Liverpool. So it's De Gea.
1: Do, do you think Walker, there should be a rule that there can only be three? I mean, maybe six players because you've got a squad of twenty-two. Do you take six players from each team? So there has to be, uh, you know, there has to be a Newcastle player in the starting eleven. There has to be a the mid I mean, get it's lost 22, in
0: 22 I mean if it's 22 then yeah maybe Lascelles gets in there um who else though uh,
1: are we looking I mean, at a Schmeichel as a backup goalkeeper I,
0: th- I think yeah I think ultimately it becomes dominated by the the bigger players but then at the end of the day it's a short piece event it's not you know, it's 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 not about inclusivity it's about entertainment yeah
1: but but at the Um, same time the World Cup looks so good because of the way it's got all the you know it's got all the little bits in it you know I get it's a showpiece event but you know do you play Firmino? do you play Firmino? do you you not play Aguero?
0: I mean yeah I think I mean realistically between those three clubs I think 22 incorporates all of those players I think all the big players get in theoretically
1: and also during the All-Star game Do you have rolling subs So that everyone does get to Because obviously you can only make three subs it's a bit of a waste Etc et Yeah I think
0: rolling subs would have to be Incorporated for it to be worth it uh,
1: Would you Would you See anyone else from a Newcastle Getting into a squad like that I mean The cells you put in forward You probably imagine if it was a vote system Someone like Matt Ritchie would get in
0: Yes um, If Edison and uh, And De Gea didn't Um Exist that have been pushing for De Braque after his performance, but yeah, well, I, think, I think, he calls him. yeah, I think those two were um, a good shouts. I mm. think Michael Moreno's not a bad little player. Yeah, um, but is he he's
1: not quite an all star yet, is he? He's not quite a no.
0: He's, he he has the potential to be, I think, which is is important. Maybe John Joe Shelby just for the laughs.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah, you worry there'll be some ironic votes, blah, blah, blah. That's why LeBron James and Stephen Curry got to pick their teams, blah, blah, blah. There is obviously also, I think there was a draft or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. Anyway, uh, there is, of course, also the side of the uh, All-Star Kits. There's also the side of where's it played? Probably Villa Park. Uh, you know.
0: Yeah, it'd need to be somewhere directly in the
1: middle of the country, in theory, wouldn't it? In theory, yes, Chris. But we all know London's the capital. There's a reason that everything happens down here, um, and it's because the rest of the country shit, according to Boris Johnson. Um, that's not that's not true. Boris Johnson never said that. He said a lot of shit, but he's never called the rest of Britain shit. Uh, sorry, Boris. Uh, I hope you don't become prime minister. Anyway, uh, some of the teams who would lose out in this, though, Chris, would surely be some of those mid-table clubs, um, and this is where we get onto our third subject of the day here. The Stoke Cities, the West Broms. uh, I can't can't think of who else is in that list. Maybe a Leicester. um, Clubs who are currently struggling, and especially, I guess, West Brom, who sit bottom of the table. A board is gone. Alan Pardew remains. Things look bleak.
0: They do. um, Because those those two, West Brom in particular, are in the top 10 in terms of Premier League longevity. Um, They were promoted... Twenty two nine two or ten. And they've been in the league ever since. And they've been comfortable in the league and, and so Stoke City and that was seen as one of the um the sort of big selling points of, of Stoke, and of West Brom, is that they had established themselves. There was consistency there. I remember Sunland before they were relegated talking about the fact they'd been in the league for ten years and that was seen as an achievement. Mm. Which I, th- I think, to a, a certain degree, it is an achievement, undeniably. The problem is, is that the, the Premier League is so unforgiving that it doesn't care for what you've achieved in the past. Each year it resets itself, and each year there's a chance that you can can massively implode. I think just look at Chelsea, the the year yeah. after they win the title with Mourinho, they slipped right down the league to. A position I don't think we ever envisaged a team in the top six could fall to. Um, and so now you look at, at West Brom and Stoke, who probably expected the, the financial uh, TV deals that um, have been so kind of prevalent in terms of seeing clubs spend money and, and invest in bigger players and bigger sums. There's talk now that they're going to diminish somewhat and drop back a bit. And so these clubs, if they do go down, they're going to be in a really tricky financial position that, that that doesn't seem to be a way out of, and and it's almost as if they've they've sleptwalk into the position that they've been in
1: mm. because
0: they thought they were safe.
1: Mm. Very good point. Um, I mean, do you, obviously very few people think they're too big to go down? That'd be a, a silly misconception in modern football. But there are a few clubs. I mean, even the likes of Everton, even today, I think the fans were talking about how. Machiri's failures have meant that the club has dropped from being just on the edge of, uh, you know, this top top four, top six area, into that relative mid-table lack of security. And even now, you know, they see themselves on the weekend losing out just one nil to the likes of Watford, who arguably could also be a club that could see themselves fall into this at any point as well.
0: Yeah, I think it should serve as a warning to to teams that um, that it is so easy to be to be relegated, and I think you should look at the closeness of the relegation battle this season as well. The fact that Burnley have been on a truly dire run of late, and yet they still sit in seventh, which is such such a comfortable position. Mm. Um, and and for West Brom in particular, you, you would not have said I think at the start of the year that a team with with Tony Pulis at the helm would be in this kind of position. And they've just been invested in with Chinese owners. So they're in a position, again, that is, is so uncertain because now they, they have to decide with, what is it, 10 games to go, do they get rid of Paul, do you try someone different, or do they stick with him in the hope that he then sticks with them next year and potentially guides them back up? Because I think, as we're seeing more and more now in the second tier, uh, return at the first time of asking is really not as easy as people want to make it out. You just need to look at the fact that Sunderland are in the relegation zone, that whole city are just above the relegation zone, and that Villa and Norwich, to varying degrees, have taken kind of a year to set themselves up and, and get prepared. Villa, granted, is still in the rest of the only think Norwich are but Villa have taken at least a year to kind of get themselves sorted and they've had to invest a good amount of money in that squad to get it to where it needs to be
1: do you think there is I mean a few years ago I remember Chris when um, Watford first were taken over by the Pottsdale family and there was this worry that you know it would be horrific I think I remember a few people on a Ball Street set sort of being like it's terrible the end of English football blah blah it can't be allowed to happen in every club and for some reason everyone thought it would happen in every club um do you think uh, that to some extent they're they're vindicated in the way that their model works that, you know, they can manage their, the way that the cash flows between all their different clubs. I know that they aren't necessarily that way with all the clubs that they own now, uh, say all, both, Um, you know, do you think this is calling for a bit of a change in business models uh, in the Premier League? Because it is, it is starting to affect the entertainment that we get on the pitch?
0: Um, I think this season has been a a curious one in so much as it's been entertaining, but has it been high quality? Probably not. And there's there's a little bit of a trade-off between that. And I think at the same time, there's certainly a feeling I've noticed amongst the teams that aren't in the top six that, put simply, what are you competing for? The hope that you can get into the top eight at some point or the top seven at some point, because ultimately you're essentially just trying to battle against relegation. It's two different leagues within the same division. Um, and I think for someone like Watford, who again have have lived sort of a, a difficult existence because they have tried to to operate different clubs, they've got really Granada, obviously, so in, essentially it's just Oudenese and, and Watford now being managed but their turnover of players, their turnover of managers, they've kind of gone against the expectation by staying up, having got rid of Jukanovic, having got rid of Kiki Sanchez-Flores, Ulta um, Mazzari, and now, obviously, Gracia's in there. There's no guarantee what his future is. So, they're in a better position, I would argue, down West Brom, than Stoke. I think Stoke will be okay, but West Brom, I think, are done and dusted. So then you have to question, well, is, is stability really what or is continuity actually stability? That's perhaps the most pertinent question at this point, because I think for a long time we assumed it was.
1: And obviously also the likes of Swansea within that continuity. After a while, if you do break that chain of continuity, where do you go from there? And how do you regain that continuity when... I don't know, maybe, you know you, What I'm saying is it, it makes it difficult to keep that continuity when you break it. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think I think it's it's a fine line in that sense because
1: mm.
0: you know, we had seen West Brom fans complain about Tony Pulis and what they perceived as a regression for, for quite a while. Alan Pardew hasn't improved things. It was seen that he would change things, but actually hasn't changed anything. If anything, um, I would say he's dragged them back a little bit. Their points per game has dropped under him. They haven't scored more goals, which I think was the thought was that Pulis' is dire football would be replaced by Pardue opening them up a bit and playing more expansively. And and that simply hasn't happened. Now, again, mm. it goes back to that thing of the continuity of Alan Pardew as a Premier League manager who has experienced the Premier League. You draw a comparison with that and say, well, perhaps then you should have gone, and I'm just pulling a name out here, someone like a Graham Potter who hasn't had that opportunity. Granted, calm. that is a risk in itself. Hmm, Saul Campbell. Granted, that is a risk in itself. That's a huge risk. But then, you know, it, is there not an inherent risk in picking Alan Pardew because you know what you're going to get and if it doesn't pan out, then you've taken a really big needless risk. Mm. You know, Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the management and the attraction to top clubs does seem a little bit different. So obviously it's diff- it is different there. Um, you know, working for a Manchester United or whatever is a different experience and I'm not even talking about them being a big club or whatever but you know obviously that does play part of it um Man City a few years ago were arguably one of those teams and look what happened after a billion pounds of investment or whatever you want to call that um you know there are ways to break that culture change that culture and make yourselves into a culture a different a different sort of culture it doesn't get rid of your previous history it doesn't get rid of everything else that happened before it just sort of is a bit of a reset I guess Um, and of course we love the United stand and watching them just continually tell us how Man City are not a big club Um, and they're about to win the Premier League again Um, anyway, it's been good to have you guys today let us know who you think is going to be going down uh, what you think of this mid-table mediocrity that does go on uh, and what you'd like to hear us discuss in the Q&A on the podcast later this week Chris, if people want to go read some of your stuff this week what kind of stuff would they read?
0: Uh, I am actually just penning something on Scott McTominay and what he means to uh, Jose Mourinho and also looking at uh, Steve Walsh's legacy at Leicester City and, and how Everton has maybe shone a light on some of his deals.
1: Lovely work. Uh, go take a look at that right now. You can go find him at Hennage K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E on Twitter. You can find me at Lozcast L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. And we'll see you guys again real soon right here on TF3.